Welcome to Out of the Blank. Welcome back to another episode of Out of the Blank. It's Jane. She's back. Hi there. Back Jane. again. Jane, how has it been? It's been a little bit. How was the new year for you? Um, oh, it's quite cold. We've had quite a bit of ice and snow about. Um, but yeah, a new start, new year. So yeah, I like the spring. Looking forward to the spring. Did you make any uh, New Year's resolutions like people do? No, I haven't made any. I used to, but I don't. <laughs> I don't know because then I break them and then I feel really disappointed in myself. So no I, point going there. I never do it, but I work at a gym where it's kind of like everybody, you, it's going to be packed till like February because everyone's doing the new year, new me thing. Mine was just to not try in anything. So if yeah. I do not go up with that, then it's a positive, right? See, if you start your new year off with a resolution that's bad, that means it's only going to be good if you break it. Right. So yeah, then yeah. you're not disappointed. See, it's a different type of thing. So I started smoking cigarettes. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so you can stop. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah. Mm. Uh, it's been, it's been interesting. Cause I've been, I, especially with picking the show back up and everything. When I took that break, I've just been trying to research as much as I possibly could and trying to find out what I was getting interested in. And, um, JFK has always been on my mind. I'm not even going to, we don't even need to talk about it this episode, but I've just been trying to figure out like a bunch of stuff, like what's secret information, what's some hidden history that, you know, people really haven't really focused on a whole lot. Like there's a lot of, I think about history that we know, but it's the same repetitive stuff over and over and over again. And I think that's what is also probably what you find interesting about researching chariots, for instance, um, or just horses in general. Yeah, yeah. Well, funnily enough, I've been researching in, in British archaeology. We have, um, well, in the Iron Age, there's there's loads and loads of evidence for the ponies, horses, whatever you want to call them. But we don't really see the proof of how they kind of looked after such a huge amount of, of animals. Um, and my research at the moment has led me down a few different paths of um, well, one theory was that they would round up these ponies once a year. There's, there's something called pony drifts that still happen um, on places like Dartmoor and Exmoor. And the theory was that they'd have these huge pony drifts in the Iron Age, collect all these ponies together, sell some off, um, butcher some, um, cull some. But then you've got to have the um, sort of like, I suppose, the infrastructure to look after them. Um, but you don't really find it. And what I've been looking at is there's been some assumptions made around the amount of grain. It seems to be um, a fixation with grain in archaeology that you need so much grain to feed the slaves, so much grain to make the bread, so much grain to feed the animals. Um, but we don't find the evidence of it. So I've been looking into alternatives. And what I found was with kind of wild ponies, they're feral. They will just look after themselves you don't need to bring them off the moorland in winter they will just find 
um, their own grazing. They will eat things like gorse and holly, so spiky plants that we don't normally think about. And just this morning, there was an article in the newspaper about um, looking at gorse as a protein source for human food. So I was kind of quite blown away by that. I was like, well, actually, all these people thinking about grain might have been going down the wrong track altogether. So, yeah. Um, but there is this fixation on grain for everything. <laughs> Do you think um, the reason maybe that the horse might have been an exception or ponies might have been an exception to just a species that's able to discover another source of nutrients? Like, I mean, the fact that if there wasn't grain or if they were just trying to look to survive, because there's wild ponies in my town. Nobody knows how they got there. They're just there. You don't have to worry about feeding them. They find their own food and yeah. they're always still there. You, nobody has to take care of them. They're very self-maintenance, which yeah, with a lot really of animals, hardy. well, a lot of animals aren't like that though. Like dogs no. can't be self-maintenance. Cats can be self-maintenance yeah, yeah. to a point. So I wonder if that's just an exception. Like, have you noticed at least through any accounts or anything that might seem as miraculous as like a, a legendary story or some type of folklore or myth, you'll start coming across like maybe this might have just been this particular animal that was forced to evolve in such a way to where it became self-dependent. Yeah, it could be. But I mean, they, I think horses kind of um, evolved from like the central steppe regions of kind of Eurasia. So they're, they're just used to being out in these open plains, finding their own food anyway. So even if it snows, they'll paw um, the earth and uncover whatever's underneath. But they can even eat these kind of twiggy, barky plants that actually horses won't eat or can't eat because ponies are much hardier. They've got this really strong cast iron digestive system. So they can eat most things, really. And um, there's a story about um, pit ponies. Um, we don't have pit ponies in the UK anymore. I think the last ones stopped working probably about 20, 30 years ago. But there was a pony that got trapped in um, a pitfall. Um, it survived, but it was trapped. Um, and it managed to survive by eating bark off the pit props for two weeks until um, some rescuers could get to it, which I thought was amazing. That just blew my mind. I'm still thinking about um, our, your last episode where we talked about the lady that was buried with her um, horse. And they lowered them. <laughs> I, I just that would bring me down a whole avenue of trying to look at those ancient burials and things. Of oh, that yeah. Sort and see if because I mean, if you're going to die with your belongings and horse was considered property, not really its own self-sustaining animal, more like a tool for battle or a tool for farming purposes, then you'd want to be buried with your horse. It would probably yeah. uncover a lot of interesting information when it comes to that. Yeah, I'm going to look at um death is kind of a separate chapter in my thesis which I'll come to shortly because I've still got some more research to do on that and some more um sort of examples to um to look at one of them and this is really peculiar I think it's come from South Cadbury somebody's buried I can't remember if it's a full horse or the horse head but they've actually um fashioned a tongue out of clay that sticks out of its mouth which is quite bizarre <laughs> So there's all kinds of strange things that people do with horses in, in death. So that's a whole other chapter that I'll be looking at soon. Um, but yeah, the, the, um, the Blue Burton Hill case is quite, quite peculiar. But having said that, I think it's trying to put things into a different worldview perspective. And when you try and do that, you kind of start to understand things in a different way. So I've been researching what 
um, horses and ponies mean in kind of cosmologies and and mythology, I suppose. Um, and in one particular, I'm not sure which region it is, but it, I think it's Central Europe. Um, horses and ponies are seen to be able to pass between different realms so they can get to the underworld and back. Um, so perhaps burying a horse with someone, the horse is going to lead you to where you need to go. So it's kind of guiding you onto the next world. So there's there's all sorts of different different ways of understanding why people do or did what they do with um, various animals or creatures. So well, that's quite interesting. Which adaptation do you think you probably connect most with? Not from like a more logical standpoint, but which one do you feel like you enjoy the most? Like if I was going to pick a standpoint of religious or spiritual aspects when it comes to a horse, I would probably go more with Norse mythology or some type of Greek mythology standpoint when it comes to more about the meanings of these. Um, I think at one yeah, yeah. point uh, in my what I would call youth, I know I'm only 24, but my youth of being like 16 years old or something like that, I wanted to get a symbol or a tattoo of some type of nobility thing on my body. And at this point in the in, in the time, five, seven years ago, everyone was into the really trendy Celtic tattoos. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I was like, let me get let me see what the one for nobility is or loyalty or something like that. And it was a stag a stag. Uh, and I thought about getting stag on my chest or on my arm and have the antlers, little leaves falling off it. And the leaves are the people that I care about. You know what I mean? So it's like, a, yeah, yeah. A, something dumb like that, which thinking back on it, no, don't ever do that. That's a <laughs> stupid idea, but it, they symbolized in a Celtic heritage. If you were going to choose something of nobility would be a stag or a type of deer. But then if you lead over into the strength or if you lead into the bravery or those types of aspects, you start leading into the horse. And then if you really dive down not from maybe the celtic side but if you dive down to um i would say early english settlers um more of that around that time period it was a sign of loyalty and royalty and nobility yeah, yeah. when it, you started leading into the horse and it kind of drived its way from the stag where i start wondering like we're all the same species but why is it that these different countries are celebrating this? I mean, you can even relate that to now. Why does the United States do something different that the UK does something different? You know what I mean? It's yeah, just yeah. interesting yeah. to see that cultural shift all on the path. Like it's literally like tug of war with an animal. Mm. And that's what I find is pretty interesting to watch its growth and evolution throughout time. Its symbolism starts to mean different things. And then each one of those things though, when I say it, you would be like, I could see that. I could see that, but it's no longer the same thing. It's like they adapted it. Yeah, I think that's really true. And I, I'm trying to explore as many different cultures and as many different kind of folklore aspects as possible to try and get a broad view. So I think last time we spoke about the Kelpie from Scotland. So that's the horse that comes out of the water and kidnaps people. If, it, if you get on its back, it will run off and drown you. Um, <laughs> I think the only way that you can capture it is capturing its bridle. I think that's the um, I think that's kind of the key to the power of it. But once it's got its bridle back, then it will it will carry you off. Um, but yeah, there's there's things like the concept of the horned horse. I think that's Central European. That's something I need to look into a little bit more. But that's kind of, it seems to be a crossover between a deer and a horse. So it's like the deer becomes a horse somehow. It's, uh, it's quite bizarre to see, um, to see horses with horns. 
And we have in Britain got um, something called the Tors Pony Cap. And it is literally a cap for a pony that has got horns on it. Um, so if anybody wants to look it up, it's in the um, National Museum of Scotland. Um, so you can find it there. And it's an absolutely amazing piece of not just, I suppose, um, an object, but the artwork that's on it as well. So it's got like flowing lines and flowing birds and all sorts of creatures that you look as though you can see in it. So I'm trying uh, to look up. Um, there's a yeah, here it is right here. Uh, so I was I was looking up uh, some of the biggest horse, I guess, whatever representations in folklore, but also I came across I'm, I'm going to share screen this. Um, what do horses symbolize in different spiritualities? Um, you should be able to see what I see in just a second. Possibly. Yeah. Oh, here we go. Yeah. So a horse, horses symbolize freedom, power, courage, and wisdom in most cultures. A horse is often interpreted as a sign of liberty and dreams, but can have gloomier meanings in some Christian artwork. A white horse symbolizes death, and a pale horse represents famine in the Bible's book of Revelations. I mean, I think that's what probably if you were going to talk about horsemen, people would either bring up like that movie with Johnny Depp. Or what is it? What is it? The, the uh, headless horseman. Yeah, or yeah. they would probably bring up the spiritual aspects when it comes to the Bible of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's strange, isn't it? How many kind of folklore tales and mytholo mythological tales that horses are actually connected with. Um, thinking about the um, the white horse, that's um, that's a big character in the Rig Veda as well. So that's like the forerunner of Hinduism. So yeah, um, so many different different worldviews that that have horses in them. And the Rig Veda, if you get a chance to just read it, it's quite difficult to read on its own, but there are versions where there's like a translation and a kind of tells you what it's talking about. Um, but that's all about gods and chariots, sort of like controlling the world and the weather and the seasons on a daily basis. I would have loved to have lived in that time. It was absolutely brilliant. It's really interesting to watch how it's gone from such strong power in folklore or myth to where it's at now, where there's like, yeah. it's like in some type of music video for some country song, a dude riding on a horse. It's like, really, they have fallen so far in the grand aspect of like just the timeline of history. But yeah. do you think people are more afraid or do you think people were more just not knowing of this beast infinite power in the way that it's been depicted like i mean yeah it's used as a tool of the gods it's used as a tool by people but at the same time as like you start hearing that it's an omen of death it's kind of like why i still have a sketchy territory with crows like when i see a crow i just go like that's a sign that i'm going to either die or something around me is going to die because it's always been known as like an omen of death as a crow but then you start hearing in certain christian religions it could be a sign of death um, a white horse you start wondering if people back then were hesitant in getting a horse maybe you would think a lot of people would own them right for traveling purposes yeah, yeah. but how many people physically worked with a horse yeah. you know like crafting out its shoes or doing well, something of that thing. Sort. yeah there's um there's a whole kind of industry behind it even in the iron age i mean there's certain centers that were set up that made sort of the the bridle bits and the horse gear and everything else that goes with it. There were separate centers that made sort of chariot parts and chariots and wheels. Um, but I don't know um, whether Christianity's had something to do with 
how people perceive things because the way I see it, Christianity kind of t- tells stories in a way. So, some, some things are kind of subsumed within it, but then maybe stories were told to put people off from doing certain yeah. things. They sprinkled a little pixie dust on it. Yeah, yeah. It like a little so, yeah. So um, I don't know. I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, and people just telling stories, um, you know, the, we've kind of lost that now because in prehistory, it was all about relating stories and oral histories and, you know, I suppose telling tall tales around the campfire and, and all that kind of thing, um, which we've probably lost a little bit of now. Um, and there are people that specialise in, in folklore and, and keeping traditions alive. But I think it's like also another thing about we see the world in a different way. We're more attuned to kind of science-based theories now, um, whereas in the past it's probably it's probably tales to explain things or explain why things happen or explain how the world works. So it's a totally different way of living that we have now than compared to then yeah. i think that's probably got something to do with it as well well you you know i mean even with studying even if you're studying something as specific as you still diving into the past of ancient history you start to realize like okay well this was obviously a tall tale and this was this this wasn't like that but back then they didn't know that i mean we don't no. even know what we know now to be tall tales or not there's half the stuff i'm reading on social media you're like fake news fake news you don't know <laughs> it's it's all over the board i mean it's the same exact thing as back then it's just in a different grand scale of things it's just interesting to watch the because i've always talked about like as much as i poke fun at religion i do understand its necessity in a lot of things and a lot of aspects um it's just watching that number of people in the world who are religious or choose to pick a different religion or one sort of one um has just continuously dropped year after year after year where i start wondering it's like necessarily if you lose that what is going to affect us and what is it going to gain in some aspects? I mean, people talk about technology, for instance, being a hindrance on today's youth. I agree and I disagree because at the same time, I've seen kids that are seven years old and 10 years old have the creativity and the motor skills that only could be a factor of just having some enhanced type of device in front of your face 24 seven, which I think at the same time also hinders their exposure to being innocent. I mean, innocence is something of prime importance, but at the same time, it opens up a door for your motor skills to increase with the amount of react reflexes that you have to have. But let's examine um, history, for instance, If you start learning all the horrors of history, you're less likely to be more faith-based or more evidence-based or more drastic in your actions of what you're going to look at or be able to soak up information-wise. I mean, there was just a commercial about Medusa, um, and she was trending last year, I think, about how like the whole entire story of it was about a girl that was going to get raped or something like that, and she was being chased. Now they have her in a commercial where she's ordering packages off Amazon, and she puts on sunglasses, and a guy's staring at her, smiling, and she pulls her glasses down and freezes them to stone. And it's like, (laughs) you can't touch Medusa. It's like, it's gone the whole opposite way, where I'm like, this is freaking weird times, man. (laughs) It is. It's like, this whole mythology thing crops up in all kinds of things doesn't it now it's uh it's certainly uh 
I think these big business in certain ways because well there's all like the whole movie business on different different um topics I'm trying to think what we've had we've had Thor we've had um oh we've had loads of them um I can't remember the other ones there's there must be hundreds of them (laughs) but there's all well they're all the old ones kind of like Jason and the Argonauts and all that I mean that was kind of big business in its time and I love all the um Harry Harry Harryhausen um effects with the fighting skeletons and and like the um minotaurs and the cyclops yeah. coming to life so yeah well there was a true kind of like i guess the true kind of question is is it hurting or helping us and that's like where we start looking at like remember the movie broke back mountain i think everybody remembers mm-hmm. that that's a memorable movie for a horse because there's a horse involved in it yeah, and that's yeah. all people can think of is riding up into the mountains on a horse and then there's yeah. this whole other stuff that happens but there's no movies like that that gets produced now it's like it opened up the doorway for next you know cultures are all about it now so then it's like you don't need a movie about it anymore same thing with like the asian hate movement that happened you started realizing that they had a lot of asian bad guys in movies and then they stopped doing it because of the asian hate movement now nobody talks about it or there's no movies created like rush hour anymore because they don't want to be offensive to that where i start going are these just like people picking a movie that's trending at the time and then next you know it's a prediction of like five years later then you got this all going on and then it stops doing that where i start wondering of like what representation like for instance is horse betting going to be gone is that going to why are we still doing (laughs) that is that going to translate over to technology because of how much people talk about it now i mean you watch any movie that suffers from a gambling addiction or some type of betting type thing the first new one was squid games betting. oh yeah i've not i've not seen that but i've heard about it but the beginning of that tv series he's at the horse racing thing he's at a betting thing <laughs> and i start going like that's going to transfer over to technology i mean if you really examine how much is it are people really worried about culture now like mm-hmm. to be 100 percent honest if we're talking about like why are we still using horses well it's a cultural thing we've always kind of done that okay but do you care? Isn't it worse to have a horse die if it gets hurt? You have to put it down. You don't heal it. You put it down. So yeah. you might as well just do technology, right? It makes it no- nothing dies. Kids yeah, who are yeah. woke or whatever are going to love that. So then that goes away. And then what happens? Yeah, I know there's always um, every year we have the big horse race, which is the Grand National, um, which is held at Aintree near Liverpool. And that's one of the most dangerous horse races there are. It's over fences and they're huge. I think that I've tried to make it safer over the years, but there's always some horse and riders that get injured on that every year. I just so, look yeah. at like, I mean, even examining history, as much as we can sit here and bring up stories from the past to be like, you can't believe how ridiculous that sounds. And then we can laugh at it. That's what people are going to be doing a hundred years from now, looking back at us. That's the insane thing. Like turning on something to do a podcast, like what the hell were they thinking? (laughs) But to us, it makes sense because it's what's going on in the trending times. That's what that whole example that I was explaining earlier was about. Like this all correlates to the same exact thing of like these stories, these ideas that sound so ridiculous of how you could think of a horse being these types of things, but that's what they knew at the time. And that's what yeah. makes it so fascinating was that it, that's going to end up being us. Eventually, we're going to be looked at in some different type of way than what it might that be. That is so right. Yeah. 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 Um, I was also looking at um, I've been researching horse whips, not not whips to kind of punish a horse, 
but they're carriage driving whips. Yeah. So this is to do with my chariot tree. And whips has opened up a whole new avenue of research. I can tell you there were things that I never knew. Um, and one of my strands of research led me to the um, Oracle of Zeus in Dodona, which is in Greece. Um, I've actually visited there, but it's quite a while ago. And apparently at one time, um, so this is in ancient history, there would have been sort of like um, a ring of huge cauldrons around the the oracle area and then there's this little figure holding a whip and it's got little pieces of bone on the end that kind of tinkle against one of the cauldrons in the wind and it kind of reverberates through the whole ring of cauldrons so I think one interpretation of it was that this figure holding the whip is supposed to represent lightning um, and then the cauldrons are the thunder so I was amazed, but I'd not made the connection between Zeus and lightning and the whip. So that was that was amazing. When I read that, I was like, I never thought of it. I'd never thought of that. I could see it because the sound that it makes mm. when it makes that whoosh, it kind of sounds like a bolt getting struck in the air or something like that. Yeah, yeah. See, whenever I think of horses, I always think of Apollo's chariot where he's riding it across the mm -hmm. sky and he has that horse and that's how the sun comes up every single morning. Yeah, yeah. When it's riding. I always think of that like it's the inspiration that kind of behind that, like to what mindset do you have to get in to really think about that? I mean, if you look at any type of trading values, I bet you'll come across that that's the last thing a person would want to trade is one of their horses. Um just because the, everything else seems as less vital than what a horse is, because that's your basic stage of just transportation. It's kind of like getting rid of your car. More people are willing yeah. to give up a shoe than a car. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. And the sun and the chariot is such a, a powerful symbol in so many different cultures. I mean, we have ancient Egypt, so the, the chariot carries the sun across the sky in Norse mythology it's the same the sun's pulled across the, the sky i think i think in norse mythology there's a there's a boat involved as well so the horse pulls the, the chariot with the sun across the sky at night and then it's helped onto a boat by oh what is it is it a fish oh, it might be a snake snake actually and then um the the boat sails back across the sea at night and then um fish helps the sun back onto its chariot in the morning and the whole cycle starts again so it's, there's so many different examples of the sun being this kind of major figure with its chariot pulled by horses or any other kind of creature that it's, it's amazing really that how many different cultures have that same central theme do you think that it was better back then with that more of a belief or do you think it's better now with more of a science base? Oh, no, that's a difficult question. It's a, it's a personal <laughs> question. No, no. It, it, yeah, it is. I would have loved to have, to have been in one of these cultures where they saw things differently. I think sometimes the science takes away the mystic and the wonder. Um, and we kind of take things for granted, I think science-based we're kind of obsessed with like the materials and the objects not how the world works um and we know so much about it and uh, and i don't want to disrespect science because we do know so much about it and i would say astronomy kind of fascinates me with how planets form and move and i think that's got a lot to do with how people kind of 
base their belief systems on. So, so yeah, but yeah, I would love to go back in time and live in one of these cultures, um, especially with the Rig Vidra, as I say, with all these chariots and gods flying around everywhere. That would have been amazing to see how people lived on a daily basis with daily basis with that um, in their minds. I'm more science based when it comes to space. But I also like the myth and the folklore yeah. of just the life and the, how civilizations built, because I think that's probably where some of our greatest innovations come from. I mean, just people, the ideas that they knew trying to be advanced. I mean, Tesla, for instance, wanting to create a death ray, an earthquake machine, all these types of things. He didn't have basic concepts of right and wrong. What sounds mm. like a supervillain in a movie? He didn't know what that they didn't know what supervillains in movies were. But now that we know that, I start to wonder if that hinders our growth. Like, imagine if a certain technology, a certain thing was never created. Imagine if the horse was never used for that. Imagine if they mm. used something completely different. If they used a cow, I mean, an ox, it was yeah. used for a lot of farming purposes, but imagine if that was the giant symbolism. Imagine people riding into battle during the civil war or whatever on a cow or a chicken or whatever they could possibly use, have a hundred chickens tied up to a chariot and <laughs> yeah. start going. It's, it's a different, it's a different thing where you start wondering the alternative line of history yeah, and yeah. what would that be like? Yeah. And that's, that's actually quite curious because um, I know in Mesopotamian culture, the earliest vehicle was kind of a sled. So it wasn't one with wheels and it was pulled by oxen. So you can imagine if that had caught on, um, obviously things then developed. So then you get the wheel. Um, and then I suppose from speed i i wonder how somebody thought i know let's let's attach a horse to this wagon and see what happens with this i mean who was the first person that thought of that it's just amazing it had to be some person trying to like stop their horse from moving but the horse was too strong and it just kept going and it started pulling him he's like wait a minute this is a great idea to get stuff yeah. done faster <laughs> yeah yeah but obviously these um mesopotamian sled that was a um, a symbol of real status and importance um, as a there's a figure called what's he called the N or the bearded man and there's all kinds of like assumptions uh, as to what his figure is is he a priest is he a king but he's the one that's riding around in this sled um, so it's obviously transport for someone who's important well, and so I guess this is where these early ideas of having transporters for someone who's important because it sets them apart from the rest of us, I suppose. They're, they're being conveyed, they're sitting in their vehicle while we're all standing by and watching them in their parade or whatever they do. Well, that's the same concept for Cinderella when she yeah. pulled up in that giant carriage. You yeah, know, yeah. It was a sign of elegance and grace. I mean, there are cultures that wouldn't let you own a horse because you had to be in a certain class to have a horse because higher up on the horse, you get to look down on people. They wanted yeah. you to look up at them, which brings into some like weird territories of like, it's very, it, it's symbolism, not only in lore, but it's also symbolism in class development. Yeah. Like, it was just a different thing. If you had one horse, you were just like a commoner. But if you had two, you were an elegant. If you had, you were lucky to have six, you were lucky to have eight. You were lucky to have some type of sense of like, it's kind of like having a really nice car compared to just having a regular car. Like, okay, you got a Kia, but that person has a McLaren. 
And it's yeah. like, what? You start realizing even a stallion, all these types of things, even every single depiction of a cowboy in a, in a movie had a black horse or something like that. And then every hero had like a, a bright, colorful horse, a white horse, whatever it yeah. was. It's just, it's, it's development and it's necessity in that sense of how people started to view it a little bit differently from just the legendary aspect in ancient history to where it started leading into a more personal aspect of what yeah. a person makes or if a person's worth started to be based in their horse. Yeah, well, that leads on to a sort of um, British medieval history. Um, certain classes of people were only allowed certain types of horse. So if you were... I don't know, clergy, um, this is kind of high middle ages. So kind of 11, 12th century Britain, you, you're um, England, I should say, not Britain, because it wasn't Britain at that time. Um, you were only allowed something called a palfrey. So that's like a really low status horse that would just kind of trot about. So it's basic, it's just um, ba basic conveyance. It's nothing fancy, but yeah, if you're a knight, you're going to have the biggest strongest stallion you can find um and i just it, i just picture a stable person like can i buy a horse what's your credit score oh man it's like 475 and yeah, you get this little small horse over here it's like if you get a 700 credit score you get that yeah. horse over there. Like, oh. <laughs> that's basically it whatever you could pay for you could always pay your way out of something and um and there were examples in in medieval history where clergy kind of got themselves a bad name for having the wrong clothing having the wrong kind of horse because that set them it wasn't within the norms of their kind of status or um role within society so it was highly um signaling society where you dressed in appropriate way for what you were so a knight would have his tunic and his armor and the clergy would have his kind of robes uh, but then they would kind of, I suppose, pimp up their costumes, their clergy a bit sometimes and do things like dagging them. So that's like ripping them a bit. So they were a little bit sort of with the fashion trends. Um, and the knights would have uh, long pointy shoes, um, which would supposedly be an extension of their appendage. So there's there's all kinds of stuff about um I suppose identity and status within society and horses are part of that as well. Yeah. Symbolism, the meaning kind of switched over a little bit too, which is interesting. Cause you think if you were a knight and you were trying to put armor on or something like that, you'd want something that covered the most vital parts, not really worried about how it looked. It's kind of like clothes now. Like when yeah, I yeah. see people walk out in wintertime wearing shorts or something like that, and their legs are like purple because it's just getting like, they're so cold. They're like, oh, I'm not cold, bro. I'm not cold. I just start going like, you're losing like the vital aspect of trying to look good compared to just trying to stay warm where you start seeing the production of clothing start to change a little bit. I mean, the times have just shifted in such a weird way where it's like it was somehow still the same, but it just went in a different direction than I guess we initially thought. It's kind of like if me and you decided to look back at like ancient history and we saw like an old ancient tablet. Now we're going to make our own depiction of what it meant based on our own thoughts, but then like what the logical standpoint of what it might have been created for might have been something completely different. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I think that's it. And I think it's just trying to put your mind in a different mindset when you're looking at the material to try and understand what people might have been thinking. I and mean, we're never going to know what someone was thinking 
way back then. There's just no way of knowing, but I guess it's just based on what evidence you've got and how you can try and interpret it. Have, um, have With your uh, thesis that you're creating, have you included a section that's strictly upon like just deaths when it comes to an aspect of like torture methods used by horse? I've not got one on deaths regarding torture. I am going to have a section about death and burial and perhaps beliefs, which will kind of incorporate what what they do with full carcass of a horse or partial carcasses, because there's some something really bizarre going on with horse legs that you find buried in particular places, sometimes in sort of like the perimeter of um, sites. So there's obviously some kind of meaning to that, um, which needs a little bit more investigation. Um, and certainly horse hoof sort of like insignia appears on sort of like chariot equipment. So you get the little horse hoof shapes on um, lynch pins from the wheels um, and on the turrets. So that's where the, the reins go through. So, yeah, um, there is a lot of things going on in, in Iron Age Britain. Um, there's a lot of things to do with horse schools as well. And that's quite interesting because Iron Age people were, um, they were, they, some, some of them were kind of, they collected heads, <laughs> so, heads put of people, bag, yeah. um, put it in a bag and then take it back and you display it on a pole outside, um, outside your Stave encampment. Off travelers. Yeah. And, and also they believed that the power of someone was contained in the head. So if you had the, the head, you had their power as well. So it's all about capturing their power and kind of using it for your own purposes. So um, maybe something similar was going on with the horse head as well. You got to uh, do, <coughs> well, especially when it comes to horse death, dismemberment by horse. Mm. I had to look it up a second ago. I was like, what was that torture method called? With it? Yeah. They had a lot of torture methods based off of the dismemberment of a horse. They had a one called a wooden horse that someone would sit on and it was a blade that they would sit on and it was in the stance of a horse. And then Oof. it would just slowly slice you in half. I mean, that's stuff where it's like, I don't know what goes through the mind of the person that's creating that. And at the same time, what's going through the mind of the horse just being freaked out and running in one direction while other horses run a separate direction and yeah, just yeah. completely separate you. Yeah, yeah, because there is that. Um, I've I've heard of that torture, which is where you're you're tied to two different horses and they gallop in different directions and it kind of just pulled you apart. I mean, dragged um, by a horse too. People would yeah. just tie you to the back of. That's the whole reason why cowboys had um, boots so they could slip out of the stirrups when, if they fell off their horse and were bucked off. Mm. And it was illegal yeah. at one point for women to ride horses. Did you know that? <laughs> Well, that doesn't surprise me because it's been illegal for women to do most things <laughs> at some point in history. That's a good point. But they were, they were afraid of, because um, apparently there's something where it's like a climactic moment that a, a girl can have on a horse or something like that. They were like, it's illegal to do that. And I was like, what the hell are you illegalizing fun for? Like, that's the dumbest, <laughs> that's the dumbest thing to me. But I just find that fascinating. There's also, it's illegal to, uh, it was illegal to drink and ride your horse. Your horse has a mind of its own. My horse isn't drunk. So if I'm drunk, that's okay. My horse has a mind of its own. But that was illegal too. <laughs> it could probably take you home if you were drunk. I got to look up uh, the illegal to ride horse. 
<laughs> there was one particular guy that they named it after. I'm like, oh my god, can you uh, can you imagine being the one person that a whole entire thing of just riding a horse drunk is named after you? <laughs> oh dear, I've not heard of that. Um, not recently, anyway. Uh, it would have been a, probably a long time ago, like in the cowboy yeah, yeah. days. Yeah. Let me make sure I try and find that. <laughs> Yeah, coming back to what women aren't allowed to do, I, I can remember that in World War One, the women were women in the UK were allowed to play football, you know, like proper league football. But then mm. once the war had finished, they were told no, and football was banned for women. So you weren't even allowed to play football. <laughs> well, I, a lot of people, I mean, this is an unpopular uh, opinion um, when it comes to, um, especially voting rights for women those weren't fought for by women they were fought for by men um a lot of people don't know that that the history at least in the states over here women got rights to vote um men actually fought for that to happen because they believe that oh that was an extra hand on your side because if it's your wife she's obviously going to have to vote for whatever you vote for so they fought for them to get the right to vote and mm. they were like what do we what we don't want the right to, we don't care about the right to vote and they ended up getting it and then it went that whole direction but i mean i don't know i don't care what anybody wants to do but if even saying what it's, i just said people go what do you think women don't didn't fight for the right to vote i was like some of them probably did but it's been logically pointed out that they it was men that fought for them to have the right to vote so they could get an extra voice on their side. It was all like a selfish thing. Yeah, yeah. I think it was probably slightly different over here that the suffragettes were quite prominent, but there were men that did um, fight for the vote alongside them. Um, and I, I think that at that point in time anyway, it wasn't just women that were excluded from voting. It was men who didn't own property or below a certain age as well. So it was kind of rights for quite a lot of different people. Um, so, yeah. But that doesn't take away the importance of the suffragettes trying to draw attention to their battle for their equal right to a vote. Yeah, I don't. It's just it's, in, it's interesting how the times have changed. Uh, change so much um yeah. mostly because a lot of the things that you can read they're like that was illegal like that was like that back then it's like that's so foreign now which is good i mean mm. a lot of uh, great aspects about that as well too that there's a lot of i mean for me i'm just like i don't care what people want to do as long as they leave me alone like i just that's <laughs> it just do things that don't <laughs> so involve harming anybody else and it doesn't matter um yeah, I, when I look back, I mean, my grandma wasn't allowed to vote until she was 28. I mean, that is how far we've kind of come. That's what I always think about when we have to vote over here. I think, well, I always should vote because she didn't have it as a right until she was, you know, 28 years old. <laughs> but it's amazing now that we're down to like 18 and even kind of... Um, pushing for 16 year olds to get the vote in the UK or some, some politicians are anyway. Yeah. It's interesting how they up the, um, it used to be like, what was it? 18 to smoke cigarettes. Now you gotta be 21 to purchase like vape products and all that stuff online. Mm -hmm. That's a weird shift in itself too, about, um, just everything that's kind of changed. And like, I mean, you gotta be 21 to drink alcohol, but you have to be 25 to rent a car. Like <laughs> what? What are we talking? That's the weirdest thing to me. We're like, no one <laughs> knows think why. The other way around. <laughs> yeah, it's like no one knows why, but that's just how it is. 
yeah it's all quite odd really when you look back at things that's uh how things have changed sometimes not for the better sometimes for the better i just uh i just found this it's called strange horse laws so it's a it's a collection of some of the wildest horse laws ever passed <laughs> we're not going to go through all 41 but some of them it says in hartsville illinois you can be arrested for riding an ugly horse <laughs> so who who says whether your horse is ugly or not that's the thing i think you just release like you just learn about someone that they find some horses to be attractive like isn't, <laughs> like i mean i think we could all be like that's a majestic horse but at the same time if someone's going your horse is too ugly to ride and you start getting into some like weirder territory Let's see, oh, uh, misworded ordinance in Wolf Point, Montana. No horse shall be allowed in public with its owner without its owner wearing a halter. <laughs> yeah, I so think I think they've kind is. of misworded that a little bit. <laughs> the owner needs to wear a halter, not the horse. And then and tick with uh, and why do I pick the hardest one to read? And then tick. Yeah, I can't say that word. I can't say that word. An antiquated city ordinance in Courtsville, Arizona prohibits anyone from playing cards with a pregnant woman, a child, or an Indian, lest they acquire a taste for gambling. <laughs> what is it? What type of law is that with a horse, though? That's I don't know. Is the horse allowed to play cards? Doesn't it's say, illegal doesn't... in South Carolina to tickle a female under her chin with a feather duster to get her attention while she's riding a horse. <laughs> what? That's like texting and driving. Like what, <laughs> what, are we, what are we talking about? Oh, here? this is mad. I mean, some oh. like I said, at one point it was illegal for women to ride horses because of a certain without a saddle. I think it was um, Nevada. They have an old law which prohibits the trading of a horse after dark. See, like, I wonder, I want to be there when they were doing this type of stuff. It's like some of our laws now that you're not able to do. It's like, why is it 25 to run a car, but it's 21 to drink alcohol? Like, there's just weird stuff where I start wondering what was happening during the time of when this was going on. Like, it doesn't make sense now where you look back at it, like, it's been too long, but people are like, well, that's just yeah. always how it's been. It's like, well, change it why the yeah, hell yeah. are you what, what yeah. are we talking about i think well in the uk it's um 18 for alcohol 17 to drive a car so it's uh slightly better <laughs> an attorney can be barred from practicing law in oregon should he refuse to accept a horse in lieu of his legal fees <laughs> Dude, what? It's so weird. It's so weird. <laughs> okay, how are you going to take your horse to the bank? <laughs> oh my god! The rider of any horse involved in an accident re resulting in death shall immediately dismount and give his name and address to the person killed. It's like driving your car. That you yeah, have to stop and <laughs> that's. <laughs> I just picture like someone gets hit by. I mean, how many people do you think were killed by being trampled by a horse? It had to be like large parades or gatherings. It was. It couldn't have just been a yeah. common thing unless you were hit by a carriage going really fast. Yeah, I guess it depends on whether they were out of control or not. Because this is what needs to be you, in your thesis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I mean, I am going to be looking at some of the kind of injuries that people got. Um, it's, it's been quite difficult because of COVID. All the collections have been out of bounds hoping to get to one collection at the beginning of January so I can start to look at some of the injuries on people's um, bodies to see what kind of markers there's I was reading some it was some medical papers on um, kind of horse riding and carriage driving um, sort of in current times 
because they're kind of an indicator of what kind of things happen to your body if you fall off a horse or you kind of fall out of a carriage and there was there's and I'm not particularly squeamish but there was one um and there was photographs of it as well where someone had got their hand caught in the reins had fallen off their horse it slipped and like pulled the top of the finger off i was like Ugh. yeah there was a uh my buddy's uh grandma that's how she lost one of her fingers yeah was that she just... was she was horse riding and got one of the things tied around her thing and just lost blood flow and just pulled it right off i was like oh it's, it's freaked me out ever since yeah. of like tying ropes or anything like that like i just want to make sure my fingers are clear like i don't want to lose a finger yeah yeah keep them clear because that injury that i saw was just the worst thing ever i mean i'm not squeamish i can watch like medical programs on tv doing the operations but that was just kind of a step too far it was like oh so i just had a weird thought all right so they used horses to deliver messages right like horse messenger people would ride horses and be able to travel that way you know they use that to be able to transport organs and things of that sort if they were doing some type of medical thing like dead <laughs> bodies were transported by horse oh yeah um we've got the um Burke and Hare, the grave robbers over yeah. here. I mean, they would have had to move bodies around somehow. So horse and cart, body on the back, cover over. Off they go to the uh, medical people to do the autopsies and medical training with them. I want to see, because you talked about uh, burials, for instance. I wonder if horses act differently around death. Why was it an omen for death as well, too? They, they had to be someone had to see something. Mm. How do horses perceive? Well, OK, so equestrians, there's a whole magazine newsletter about them. Shout out to them. Um, how do horses perceive death? A study from Portugal analyzing the reactions of feral horses to the loss of herd mates has lessons about the emotions and intelligence of horses. Yeah. A sad event provided researchers in Portugal with a rare opportunity to observe how feral horses reacted to the death of a herd mate and collect data that may advance understanding of emotions and intelligence in all horses. Scientists from the University of Portugal in Kyoto, Japan, were doing routine fieldwork observing a feral herd when they noticed a two-month-old fowl whose hind legs had been severely injured in a presumed wolf attack. They started these two factors combined. Where does it say what happened to them? Yeah, I think... I think horses are quite similar to humans in the way they form attachments within their family groups. They're surprisingly similar um, in the behaviours. So they'll have like their little family group. Um, I think there's kind of one stallion to about six or seven mares. But when the male foals, the colts get to about two years old, they kind of leave the herd and they go off and form a little kind of bachelor gang until they find like their own sort of like family groups of their own so they go off causing a bit of trouble and uh you know play fighting and things like that um and then the female fillies they go off and join different families so it's all quite they have their own kind of family bonds they choose who they're friends with um so I, there's a lot of similarities you can draw between horses and humans and the way they behave. Yeah, it says some studies suggest that after the death of a herdmate, horses show signs of anxiety, cessation mm. of feeding, and social withdrawal. 
Um, therefore, it is important to consider horses' needs when they are facing a situation of loss before asking them to complete or perform their daily tasks. Yeah. So in some way, they are still kind of like us when it comes to anxiety yeah, yeah. and things of that sort. Yeah, yeah. They get they grow attached to to various members of the sort of like group. They choose their own friends. They're like, like ostriches, us. though, right? They can kill themselves. Oh, I don't know. Um, I've heard of horses like getting so depressed to a point where they like, it's like a dog when a dog's about to die, they go away from their owner yeah, or something like I, that. I have heard that um, sometimes they prefer to go away to kind of watery places to die. So on their own. Um, so maybe that is part of it. Um, I wish people did more studies on stuff like that. To be yeah, able to find out but there's only there. one paper that I'd come across on that and that's quite old from about the 1970s i think which is someone who'd done some studies on new forest ponies in the uk um but there's not really a lot of evidence in it but yeah um it's it's certainly plausible is there evidence based when it comes to a concept of them being able to predict weather that's coming I've not read anything about that so I, I wonder if at that point if you look at like ancient texts for instance being able to predict the tides like if Poseidon's mm. angry or not, could you use a horse to be able to do so? Well, possibly because Poseidon supposedly created the horse, didn't he, in Greek mythology? Campus, so, yeah. yeah, so um, it's possible, possible. Mm. <laughs> and with your, um, because we haven't really talked about your thesis a whole lot. When, when, when did you start doing that? And when do you expect it to be finished? It will be finished. I've just had an extension agreed because I've not been able to access museums because everywhere's been closed with yeah. COVID. So I've just had a six month extension. So it should be finished, fingers crossed, by next March. So I've got probably about 14 months left. Is um, it hard writing something like that? It can be hard. Um, you get to sort of like, when I started off, I was full of enthusiasm, but then you kind of hit kind of a bit of a wall part way through and you kind and of have down. to you kind of have to grit your teeth to carry on but I think I've kind of got through a bit of that at the moment and because I was collecting loads and loads of data and not actually writing anything so I've been writing again the last probably couple of months and um, it's coming on now I need to hand in a piece of work um, probably by the end of the week um, you have two we have two kind of sessions in the year one's January one's June where you have to kind of show your progress so that's coming up for me at the end of January so I have to get my piece of work done and all my data collection tidied up so that I can submit that as well have you come across quite hard. well have you come across anything that makes you want to look back and maybe take something out to add that in um I can add things in as I go because it's not the final version until I submit so it's always um it's like an ongoing process of reiteration. So you, you do your research, you write it up, you carry on, you find something else, and then you can go back and revisit what you've written and kind of change it or add something or take something out. So until it's actually submitted, it's not done. So it's, it's, it's just like a working document all the time. Now, once you finish the thesis, are you going to move on to a different direction in your studies? I know we talked about before that you there might be another one out there that you wanted to do. Um, I don't know. Um, I'll see where this one takes me. Um, I'll see what 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 happens. Because at that point, you can my... give up the whole horse thing and chariot yeah, thing. Yeah. And you can move a whole completely different direction. Right? Yeah, yeah. On that, if you want, but do you want to stay focused in on this? Um, not necessarily. Um, 
I found interest in every part of archaeology that I've studied. So I've studied African, I've studied um, Near East, so that's Mesopotamian, um, studied some of the European. It's And you find things of interest in every single aspect. So I don't really know where I'll go after this, but there's definitely things I can pick up on and and follow if I want to do horse related or you can move on and and see what else see what else is out there yeah I would um I, I see I would get more interested into the burial aspects of things because I see so much of that now about like issues that go on with like museums and stuff of that sort but also I, there's just so much fascinating things about like especially when someone dies it's a very private thing um which is weird how like Anne Frank had a whole diary that everyone just was like, this is okay to release to the public, but yeah. it's just a very, something... it was never meant to be released that was yeah. it? it was their own private thoughts. And um, it's something like that. So private and so intimate that I always just find very, very fascinating. It's kind of like what um, recently uh, one of my favorite comedians, Bob Saget passed away at, oh, yeah, yeah. at 65. And I was like, I would love to know what he was thinking in his last moments because i've followed him since way before like i mean since i guess i was born you know afb all that type of stuff but i've heard very, his podcast everything and heard him talk so openly about what goes on in his mind and the demons that he fights and i'm like something so intimate like that especially your last moments i mean people really want to know like how did he die i'm like i'm not super worried about that i'm like just where because i yeah. knew the type of person that he was and i knew the type of environment that i think he would like to rather be in than just i mean nobody wants to die but you know in a hotel room out of all places and you start getting to this point of like burials to me just seem fascinating when i start hearing about egyptology or some type of thing of how they found oh in this sarcophagus they found this and they found cats and they found gold and they found all this i'm like why like that's so interesting to me yeah, of yeah. like why they chose those certain types of things did they have a memorable thing i mean if we can think me and you of a loved one or someone that's passed what were they buried with what did we make sure they were buried with how did they want to go you start realizing a deeper insight into that person's life and who that person was yeah yeah i think there is a concept in archaeology called having a good death so it's how you die so and where you die who you're with um what you're surrounded by and things like i guess someone who's a who's recognized as a warrior they want to go in like that brave battle death they don't want to be they don't want to go in disgrace and so they'll be buried with their sword and their other weaponry that they that makes them who they are in this life they take it with them into the next and then you get some peculiar burials which I guess might be described as deviant burials where um, you'll find people that are weighed down with big slabs of limestone um, so that maybe there's some kind of revenant that's had some kind of bad death and whoever's burying them is frightened that they're going to come back or in um, Africa when it used to do the dying hole where they buried you up to your neck and just had you sit and wait if you were dying from an illness mm, yeah that's not good, is it? That's How would not you like death. to go? How would you like to go? Um, I would like to go quick. I don't want to linger. I would like to go quick. I would like to have be doing something that I enjoy um, and have my family around as well. I guess that's the best I could ask for. 
Um, so a lot of people say so yeah. in their sleep. In fact, I think if you're peaceful, yeah. Oh, but if you're doing people... something, if you're doing something that you enjoy, um, my cousin's grandmother dropped dead at the bus stop on the way to the shops. Oh my god! <laughs> this was this is years back, but she wasn't expecting it, but she just <laughs> went. Yeah. Uh, it's for me my biggest fear was always in my sleep i was like i'd rather be awake for it but i'd rather be doing something like i don't know like putting your life on the line for somebody you know that type of thing seems always like a good at least so when they write it about it in the newspaper it's not like oh he died yeah, yeah. in his sleep i was like i'd rather be like died <laughs> like saving a kid from a bus yeah 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 but i think if you're doing something that is has purpose or something that you enjoy when you go and i'd like it to be unexpected i wouldn't like to linger on if i was ill um, I think that's the best I could wish for really. <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts about like, I, I think I have this continuous dream of this like beautiful location on like a roadside mountain and there's just a wonderful sky and there's nothing like, it doesn't feel happy. It doesn't feel sad. It just feels like nothingness. And it, you're, you're like enjoying the moment, obviously, but it's like, you don't feel like you're in a rush for anything. Like there's nothing out there. I'm like, to me, that's so peaceful. Like, I know yeah. that's a lot of people's fear of not having anything to do, but to me, it's like, I do too much. I'd rather just have nothing to do. Like that sense of just like, you're not in a rush for anything. You, you don't have to worry about anything. You're not, you don't need to be happy about anything. You can just be. And yeah. Like, your mind's at rest. Yeah, then. It's that's just peace. that. Yeah, it's just at peace. There's nothing, no thoughts having to worry about in your head and you're thinking, oh, I've got to do this next. I've got to, you know, take the dog to the vet next Thursday or whatever. You're just at peace with your thoughts. Everyone's like, you hustle, you hustle, you hustle until you die. I'm like, yeah, but shouldn't living never be a hustle? It should be something that you work at your own pace and what you feel comfortable with. Because if you, no matter if your pace is 10 speeds faster than somebody else's, it's not hustling because that's your pace. Yeah. But everything's like a giant time suck now. Like people are like, you have to be doing a podcast at 1 a.m., do a podcast at 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, eat lunch, do a shower, eat at 10. And if you're not doing something at 11, you're out of the business. I'm like, well, what, yeah. what does everything else mean about that? That was that was what my old job used to be like when I worked in financial services. I left in 2014 because, well, I'd spent 30, 31 years with that company doing various different jobs. But I just got to the point where you think, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be on this constant conveyor belt of getting into work, having a massive inbox. And then you'd get to try and get to the end of it by day. By the end of the day, I would never succeed. And then because my boss worked peculiar hours, he would get up at like four in the morning. He would do all his work kind of between four and nine in a morning, my inbox would be like through the roof again when I came into work the following day. So you just never got on top of it. And I just thought, why am I doing this? Just get off the conveyor belt and go and do something else. Yeah, you gotta see, I always like working with within my own hours, but it's so hard because everything now is like, you have to do this job, you have to do a nine to five. I'm like, some people just aren't fit for that. And I'm not mm. willing to be miserable just to do a nine to five. You know what I mean? I'd rather work, if anything, I work like 3 a.m. to like whenever. And I'm like, that's easier than doing, you know, something where people spend all day and then they go home and what they're too tired to do anything. I'm like, yeah. that's not a way to live. Your history book would be so short if that's how you lived your life. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you have to have that quality in your life and you have to enjoy what you're doing. And I think that was the biggest learning for me that when I suddenly realized that I didn't enjoy what I was doing anymore, that you've got to change things. 
And yeah, I don't earn as much money. I'm a lot poorer than I was, but I've got more time and I enjoy what I'm doing. So it's swings and roundabouts. If you can get up and smile instead of being upset that you have to go to some job, that's winning. Yep, it certainly is. <laughs> well, Jane, I appreciate you for doing the podcast again. Going to get you back on a third time, I bet. Um, <laughs> where can people find your links? Any links you want to let people know from your, is it um, just your Twitter still or you got a site? I've got my Twitter and um, you can find me on the University of Manchester web pages and just search my name in there. I should come up with my photograph. <laughs> I'll link it all in the description. Is there anything you want to let people know before we wrap up the show? Uh, no, I'd just like to say thanks for having me back on. It's been a pleasure. They got the rock. We got to get you a Rocky 2 poster in the background. <laughs> <next time. laughs>